Hey, welcome back to the Brazos Point living room. We are glad that you're listening, and this week we are getting the three amigos back together. It's been a little bit. We've got Michelle Masterson. Hello. Randy Dandy Dane. And myself. Randy's here, I promise. Hello. <laughs> I didn't know how to follow hello. Good day. <laughs> well, jumping in uh, as we continue our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of John. Uh, first question for you guys is, what do you have the hardest time sharing with others? Hardest. <laughs> Not my dancing skills. <laughs> I love to share those. <laughs> Very, so generous of you. <laughs> they are. They, they, Thank they're you. more like freestyle and they're intended to be just danced alone. I have a hard time partnering the way I dance. <laughs> so does everyone else. <laughs> partnering with me? Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I'm the I, same. I can't say anything. What are, when I think about what I have the hardest time sharing, yeah, I think it always comes back to food. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but it's 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 both and because in, in a way, I love to share food. Like if right? you find something delicious and you want everybody to know right. about it. I love to, like I'm an evangelist for good foods. You also do love to cook for people. I also love to cook for people. So don't misunderstand. No. I'm not only greedy with my food. I, I have a hard time sharing <laughs> food when there's only enough for me <laughs> well my thing is i have a hard time sharing it if um if it if it was not that accessible so like yeah, right now i have been searching high and low like one evening well kendall came with me and one of our other friends daughters we went to four different stores looking for bluebell oatmeal cream pie ice cream that just came out last month and i have yet to find it i have yet to taste it and i will tell you right now if i get my hands on it i don't know that i'll invite people over to partake wow. just to be safe you should eat the whole half gallon <laughs> just, to, just to be safe. just to keep jeff out of it again. can i tell you something it's hard to share you have it too because he doesn't appreciate Hang delicious on. food the way we I do. I think Joseph's got... Well, my my parents are coming into town this weekend to hang out with the kids. And they're bringing a special delivery. They said there are no half gallons, so they're bringing eight pints. That's all wow. you've been able to find. Your parents are wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> eight pints of blue milk. They only had one kid, Randy. <laughs> so I will tell you, like, here's a good example of when I have trouble sharing my food. This is like... at. at, at at its most extreme is if we go somewhere and I say to Ashley, I am getting X. Would you also like to get X? And she says, no, I don't want it. And then when mine comes, she wants mine. Hmm. It's like, no, you had your chance. You could have gotten your own fries. Get out of my fries. <laughs> I also have a hard time with it. Um, well, both of y'all can maybe relate to this, like in the, in the journey to try to lose weight, like if I've got something in the house that is specifically like something that either I'm, you know, looking forward to as a treat or even if it's something that actually is calorie friendly, but it is a treat to me. Like, I don't really want Jeff to eat that thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can eat you whatever you want it. anytime you want. <laughs> like... <laughs> I have to think about these things. That's a good one. Just happy. What do you have trouble sharing? I was trying to think about it. Um, I think maybe going a different route. <clears throat> There's like a specific set of time 
that every week I feel like I just want to be mine. It's not necessarily sharing like food or an item or a thing, but it's Sunday afternoons mm-hmm. in our house. Like, <laughs> That's nap time. It's nap time. You too? Yeah. Oh yeah, we're straight up in the jammies, so, lights out. It, I can't wait till that day. <laughs> mm-hmm. But my kids are little. And it's worship. They, they love church, so they come home like amped just... Amped up. Yeah, they're amped up. We eat, and I'm like, all right, everybody... You don't got to take naps because everyone hates naps. And it's like, but quiet time in your rooms. I have a great source of encouragement for you. And so, yeah. They're little now and it's difficult, but it will get easier. Your Sunday nap will get <laughs> even more they sacred. They look forward to her. Yeah. I mean, they, they just get less dependent, more independent. And the more independent they get, the less they bother your nap. So sometimes it takes a couple hours to get everybody or they keep coming, getting up and coming to my room. And so like, sometimes it'd be like three o'clock. Four. I'm like, oh, can I good. can I pull this off? Have you tried duct tape? <laughs> <laughs> On a door or a kid? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Your call. Yeah. Probably more effective on the kid. <laughs> I think that's illegal. <laughs> well, the reason we're talking about sharing is we're going to talk about uh, kind of sacrifice a little bit here and our willingness to, to give or to share. Um, more than just these things we're, we're mentioning with others. So we're in John 8 this week, starting in verse 12. And one of the first things we read uh, is that Jesus says, so when he spoke to the people again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So my first question to you guys is, uh, what is Jesus's I am statement here? And kind of what's the significance ultimately of these statements? Um, we, we have talked a little bit about there are several um, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus will explicitly say, I am blank. Uh, and so what exactly is he saying here, and what's the significance of these moments? Yeah, they're extraordinarily significant. This is the second of seven in John's Gospel. We've already seen, I am the bread of life, and here we have, I am the light of the world. And I really think you kind of need to take them in two parts. One, the the I am piece of the statement. Uh, it's much more of a noun than it is a verb. Uh, This is much more about Jesus declaring a role or a title that he has, and that I am peace is probably the most significant part of the title, because Genesis to Revelation, God is referred to as uh, the I am. We, you know, based on God saying, I am, I am, I am, we refer to God as the great I am. And Jesus basically making an I am statement. He is equating himself with God, not someone who is a prophet that's come on behalf of God, but actually as God himself in the flesh. And so don't overlook the significance of just that simple three letters, I am, right? Like this is a claim to be God. But then the other part of these I am statements is also important. What is Jesus saying as the I am that is a part of his title? I am the bread of life. We covered that. So this one, I am the light of the world. Now, what does this mean? Well, it means that uh, Jesus as God in the flesh is the very revelation of God uh, that has come to bring the light of God into a dark world. And it's a it's a claim to be light, not just like, man, I'm, I'm some source of light. It is I am the source of light mm-hmm. and, and not just a light, but a, a life-giving light. And this idea that the light is essential to physical life in the same way Jesus is making a claim that he is essential to uh, spiritual life. So I'm super interested in doing like a deep dive on Jesus's I am statements because they're just, the more I think about them, they're so fascinating to me because of how 
um, the ones we've we've been seeing, it's him using very real life things that they're familiar with and accustomed to to communicate who he is. And like another thing that I'm noticing, just the more we look at them, is that it's it's a need. Like he's communicating mm-hmm. how he is the answer to a need that we have. Well, and, and there's also, there's an additional layer of meaning here. There's another layer of depth here in that he's also using things that have a very much Jewish Old Testament connection. Exactly. So they're not just human needs, but these are Old Testament themes. Yes. And so when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and I'm pointing this out on Sunday, Isaiah 49, God promises that the Messiah will be the source of light that will bring salvation to the Gentiles. So Jesus is literally saying here, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am what Isaiah 49 prophesies. What you've been waiting for. Yeah. So I'm with you. Totally a great thing to do a deep dive on. And I'm, I'm confident there's good Bible studies that are built around the yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I like that these statements are connected to so many different things, connected to Jewish history, God's story with his people, and a lot of times Jesus is making these statements out of direct interactions with the people and what he's doing. He, mm-hmm. he fed the people, uh, 5,000 people, bread and fish, and then he said, I am the bread of life. Uh, and so even this uh, I am the light <clears throat> statement, you know, if you jump back to John 3, um, light is a theme that Jesus brings up kind of uh, continually. And so in John 3, verse 19, Jesus begins to say this uh, about, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He's talking about himself. And then he goes on to say, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So uh, keeping with that idea, what does Jesus mean here when he says the people love the darkness rather than the light? And how do we see that in the world around us? So this makes me think of uh, an epidemic that we have at our home. We have three hamsters. Uh, Cooper has one, Callie has one, and Ashley has one that is her class pet. And so I call it Randy's Hamster Emporium. Uh, If you want one, come get one. Uh, But they love the dark. They're nocturnal creatures, and they burrow as deep as they can in their little shredded up, shedded bedding. And when I think about somebody hating the light, it's what I think about when we get their cage open in the daytime, and they just look like they're, they are hacked off, that they are having to experience light. So what I think this means is that people are like little rats that love darkness. <laughs> that's what you think about. That's what I think about. Yeah, that's what I think about. But what I'm getting at is this, that it really is this this level of comfort and desire to live in darkness and not a, a physical darkness uh, absence of light, but a spiritual darkness uh, that's, that is indicated by a love and a comfortability with sin and yeah. selfishness. And what Jesus is saying is, man, I have brought light to this dark earth. And that's why this message is titled Heaven Sent. It's like this light existed in heaven and God made the sacrifice of putting this light in and on the earth that he created. And that light exposes those sins yeah. and calls people out of that darkness. But the truth is we we love our sins. We love our idols. Uh, we love these these things that create comfort and pleasure. I think that's the key word in verse 20 is it says, you know, fear that their deeds will be exposed. And Randy, you're talking about comfort, the comfort of darkness. And I think there's also... Um, that it's familiar, like this is what I know and what I've been in, and it can be uncomfortable 
to come out into the light because that's not what you're used to. That's, I mean, think about even just our, our physical bodies, like our, our eyeballs, you know, like when we've been in a dark room and mm-hmm. then you walk out into the sun, it hurts in your, your reflexes to close those eyes. And I think in us, we become comfortable in our sin. That's what we know. And even, even those of us who don't mind change, it's still easier to just keep doing what you've been doing, mm. even if you know that it's not necessarily what is the right thing to do or, or the biblical thing to do. Sometimes it just is easier to keep living how we've been living. Um, and I don't know that it just, we see that in so many ways, like even just the silly example of like, um, you know, my office, I've got four lamps in my office and hardly ever turn on the overhead fluorescent lights because I just like the way everything looks better in the little bit dimmer, little bit softer light, including my face. <laughs> you love the darkness. She loves the darkness. She loves the, the soft light darkness. <laughs> Don't look a day over 39 in that lamp light. <laughs> I think uh, another thing it makes me think of is... Uh, just this this reality that that light actually is essential to life and darkness mm-hmm. isn't. Mm-hmm. People love this darkness, but what we actually need is light. Like from a physical standpoint, if we don't have light, we we die. If if we don't have light that's creating uh, the process of photosynthesis in plants that then creates oxygen that we breathe, we die. If we don't have light then the earth freezes up and it's uninhabitable, right? And so darkness is not essential to life. Light is. And what Jesus is saying is, I am essential. If you want to have life, the fullness of real life, you got to have me. I think that's great. It goes in with, I think it was our last conversation we had about um, even him being the living water, him being the bread of life and how we we go to the things that we think we need, that we think we want, but that's not even what what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And like you were saying earlier about the I am, I mean, it's like, I got to have water. I got to have bread. I got to have light. And he's saying, I am those things you've got to have. It's such a great picture too of how Jesus back then and still meets people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you have this need and I'm coming to you to meet it. But as you recognize your need for him, there is this shifting in these loves. We are by nature people who love darkness. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a repentance that has to take place and an exchanging of those loves where a love of darkness is exchanged for a love of light. That is Jesus. Hmm. Well, uh, as we continue reading in chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus says, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Now, (laughs) I have this question because I think it's kind of confusing on the surface and the people listening to him immediately were confused as to what he was saying. So what is Jesus saying when he says, where I go, you cannot come? Why? And how do we actually get there? I think it's because he had some bluebell. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't want to share it. He's like, is that why he sent them on ahead to the festival too? That's right. He's like, I have found oatmeal cream pie. Uh, my time's not yet come. No, I mean, I think, I think in essence what Jesus is communicating is the bad news, right? Like I love for us to think about the good news in terms of we only understand how good the good news is to the extent that we understand how bad the bad news is. And ultimately we know that the good news is that we can have and experience heaven because what Jesus has done for us, but the bad news is that you can't get there uh, on 
on your own. What he's saying is where I, where I go, man, you cannot come. And the essence of that is you cannot come on your own and think about who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the religious leaders who in works-based righteousness are trying to get there on their own. And he's trying to just confront them with the heart of the bad news. You're not going to do it. Hmm. That makes me think again of our conversation last week, maybe, or the week before about the free wine and milk. Like the cost mm-hmm. has been covered. Yeah. And by the way, I'm the only one who you could can't have afford covered it. it. But here it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Mm, that's good. Well, Randy, I know one of the things you highlight in your message is uh, Jesus' example for us and his example of humility and really humbling himself and the ultimate sacrifice that he, he gives to us as, as something for us to be reminded of and to strive for. And so one of the things you highlight in your message is uh, Jim Elliott, and who's uh, so pumped to, to see that because he's a personal hero of mine. And you quote him, and I want to just talk about this quote that you picked. Uh, Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So what is he really saying there? What's the heart behind that quote? Well, I mean, I think you, you hit on it already. If you go back to the, the heart of this message, it's John eight twelve, where Jesus makes this I am statement, I am the light of the world. But then the next phrase that follows that is whoever follows me. And so it's not just a call. It's not just a, a clarity of, you know, this reality that Jesus is the Christ and he's the Messiah. But he's also saying uh, your response to that is followership. You follow me. You follow my example. You walk in my ways. And if you do, you're not going to walk in darkness any longer, exchanging those loves of darkness. Instead, you'll have the light of life. You'll have this real light. And I honestly think, I mean, I can't prove it. Uh, maybe I could actually, if I read the entirety of Elliot's journal that day. Uh, and, and there are some verses that are adjacent to that, but I, I just think this theme of light and life is a part of what's going on here. And what Jim Elliot's quote means is this, that uh, it's, it, is, it seems foolish from an earthly perspective to give up all the things of the earth and the comforts of this world um, and to live in that kind of selfless and sacrificial way. That, from an earthly perspective, that seems foolish, but it is, it is, it is foolishness to hold on to those things because this earth is not our home. This earth is temporary. This earth is not what life is about. And the things that we get so distracted by on earth uh, really are that. They're distractions. So he is no fool who gives all of that up in order to gain what he cannot lose. And the, the gain that cannot be lost is the life that Jesus offers and the eternal life that comes with that. It's this eternal mindset that recognizes mm-hmm. that there is something beyond this life and this world, and this is actually temporary, and that is forever. And so in this temporary, I'm going to live in such a way that is actually focused on the forever. Yeah, it's that you have to have the eternal perspective for this to even begin to make sense. And, you know, oh, man, y'all are going to have to help me with the reference. Where does it say that our life is a vapor? James. James, yeah. Um, so, you know, in the in the grand scheme of eternity, our lives are like a vapor. Like, they're there, and as soon as you even realize you're seeing it, it's gone. And when you think that way, then, then why wouldn't we give everything for the sake of eternity, for the sake of others' eternity? Hmm. You know, going back to that verse, Randy, that you talked about, like, whoever walks with me will never be in darkness again. And part of walking with me is taking that light 
into dark places. To well, I don't want to steal from future conversations, but this is actually fascinating because this is one where Jesus in the book of John says, I am the light of the world. And then later in John, we'll discuss this. He actually says, yep. you are yes. the light of the world. Yes. So then we become, uh, you know, this conduit of the light. Yeah. And those dark places, they don't have to be in South America, like where Jim Elliott went. There are dark places all over the world. And, you know, it is Christ followers are plan A for reaching those dark mm. places with light. But there's dark places in, in some of our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in the community. And, and that is what we're tasked with, to take that light into those dark places. And so when you have that eternal perspective, when you know that our entire purpose as Christ followers is to bring glory to Jesus, and you know, so taking that light to the dark places, that becomes what everything is about because it's not... Like our, our eternal security is there. And so now we want to, with that eternal perspective, share that light with as many as possible. And that's what Jim Elliott was doing. Um, and, you know, what did we say? Nine years before he actually lost his life for the sake of the gospel was when he wrote this. Yeah, he wrote it nine years before. You know, what, what I think of as the opposite of what Jim Elliot is saying here is uh, the the story of the rich young ruler, mm-hmm. right? So Jesus encounters this young rich ruler and Jesus calls him to give up everything in order to follow him. And he rejects that because he can't, he can't see himself letting go of these earthly goods, these earthly possessions. And so instead he holds on to mm-hmm. what he cannot keep and forsakes gaining uh, what can't be lost, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it really is kind of the opposite. And, and I think that's important for us to think through because uh, some, in some ways this sounds contrary to the gospel that we preach that says that, that this relationship with God through the work of Jesus is a gift of grace. It's an absolutely free gift of grace that it costs Jesus his life. But in a sense, yes, it absolutely is free. I don't want to contradict that. But it does, it costs us our life mm-hmm. in, a, in a similar way, right? We mm-hmm. sacrifice ourselves in regards to who's the authority of our lives. And we lay down our lives in submission to Christ. And he becomes ruler and boss, not just Savior, but also Master and Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that kind of ties into this next idea. Um, you know, every time I, I this, this quote lives in a place in my office, and it reminds me of, you know, Jesus talking about if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll find it. Uh, and as I think, and Jim Elliott, I, I would read his journal um, when I was in college and, and right after college. And I would always just be just so astonished by his actual, the moment of him giving his life, his physical life ending and just being so moved by that. And then reading his journal and really recognizing what you're talking about of he made a conscious, a conscious choice, not just to give his moment in a moment of need, his life in a moment of need, but a, a choice to sacrifice his life every day. It was, it was, it, and that really convicted me um, just to recognize like, yeah, am I willing to say yes in a crazy moment of my life's on the line for the gospel? Maybe. But what, what might be just as hard or harder sometimes is to say that every day. And so we, we, not, we may never be in a position to sacrifice our physical life, but what does it look like to sacrifice our daily life? I mean, I really do think that it comes back down to, you know, this may be an oversimplification, but I think it comes back to knowing God and making him known, you know, and what does it look like to recognize the distractions of the temporary life and sacrifice our, our, our time in ways that we're going to either know God better 
or make God known. And ultimately recognizing that anything that God shares with us as we grow to know him more is, is intended to be generously shared in the same way that we've generously received it from God. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a million different applications to this, but ultimately I think that's got to be at the core of however we apply this is are we, are we seeking to make God known uh, and share that light and be that light of the world that has the light of life in us. Um, so I'm not at all saying that like just selflessness and sacrifice and not being selfish for the sake of, of being selfless is, is a good thing. I just think the greatest good and aim is when that selflessness is pointing to Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're picking up what yeah, I'm putting down. Yeah. I've got a little bit <laughs> of a weird story about kind of a long-term lesson that, um, God has done with me. So, um, bear with me for just a second, but before I moved overseas, when I was at training, um, I very much felt like the Lord was asking me to be willing to give my life, to give my physical life, um, if that's what it came down to, to go to the place where I was going, which was a pretty dark place where, um, in all honesty, giving my physical life wasn't just completely outside of the realm of possibility. And I, it took me weeks during this two-month period. It took me several weeks. I knew he wanted me to pray the words, God, I'm willing to die for the sake of your kingdom. I knew that. And it took me weeks to get to the point that I could write it down. So I, I did. And I have a place in a prayer journal where I have written the words like, God, if you choose to take my life so that your gospel can be furthered, that's okay. And like, that all sounds dramatic and weird. But you were in a very dangerous that, place. I was in a dangerous, but that didn't happen. And now, really? on the other side of that, what'd you say? Really? really? Um, on the other side of that, when I am having a particularly selfish moment, uh, a, a difficult time sharing my time or, you know, anything else that I have for the sake of, you know, sharing my faith or for the sake of standing on biblical truth when it's not the comfortable thing to do or whatever that is. God immediately takes me back to that moment of mm. writing in my prayer journal that I was willing to give my physical life for that in another country. And I can hear him almost audibly asking me, why wouldn't you be willing to give me your Share time your here? Bell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's not. I don't think well, he's asking me to do actually, that. I think you bring out a great point because I think it's so easy for us to hear Michelle, missionary, Molly, West Africa, dangerous place, journal, or willing, Jim Elliot, willing to live. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. where I'm getting at. That yeah. Michelle feels a whole lot like a Jim Elliot, right? Sure. Whereas our friend Michelle, our everyday Michelle, like, and the reality is at his most Jim Elliot-ness <laughs> or at your most Michelle-ness, you know, like you still had struggles with selfishness and sacrifice. Like, I think it's so easy for us to paint a Jim Elliot. Uh, he's a hero. Don't get me wrong. But he was also a selfish guy. Right. There's no doubt in my mind that he was. He yes. had that same battle with, oh. with selfishness every day of his life. Again, I can't prove it, but my guess is when he wrote that in his journal, he was preaching to himself. Right, right. <laughs> and that's what I, that's really what I want to get at is like in the most mundane minutia of life, we have the opportunities endlessly to practice selflessness and sacrifice. And, and the other thing I'm thinking through is it's not like I think the evangelism piece of this of shining our light so that others will see the light of Christ 
and and be drawn to that light. Mm-hmm. Like I, you can't separate that out from this. That's a big deal. But also, like I think about the the most mundane of life is where I have to choose in my home with my wife and with my kids. Yeah. Am I going to be selfless or selfish? Am yeah. I going to sacrifice for them or am I going to put me above them? And ultimately, that's just as important as evangelism because in their formation and their discipleship, I get to model for them one my need for grace and two in the moments where I get it right, I'm I'm reflecting Christ to them. Yeah. Right. And it's about their formation and their discipleship and their being pursued and their being wooed into Christ too as as I live that out in my home yeah. or as I fail and point them to Jesus in my failure. Right. And and that's that's why I called it a long-term lesson because in the moment when I was writing it in my journal, literally hand shaking, I felt like this was the not so metaphorical nail in my coffin. Like I really felt like God was moving me to a place to prepare me for that. And, you know, I wrote notes to loved ones in case something happened to me, like things oh, I never like got that, mine. you know, <laughs> well, nothing happened to me. But, you know, so it was like, why did he have me do that? You know, and now every time I'm selfish with something, you know, I'm like that, that, that's why he had me do that. Like it mm. was this long term mm-hmm. lesson that, yeah. Well, I just think that I, I just don't want it to be lost. The power of the daily the yes. power of the mundane yes. and stacking daily over daily over daily over the course of a lifetime is greater than even those big moments. For sure. Well, uh, we kind of got into it, uh, and I'm glad we did. Uh, the the wrap-up of just today's conversation, uh, Jesus talks about that those who follow him will have the light of life. And if we talked about we live in a dark world that's full of darkness— how do we carry that light into the world? And I mean, just real practical. Like, what does it look like to take the lessons of I'm willing to give my entire life look like played out day to day and I'm willing to sacrifice daily? I think in the context of this message, the way that I, w- I wanted to come across is this idea that that Jesus stepped out of heaven into earth and he sacrificed heaven in order to give us light and life. And so ultimately, when the light of the world says to us, you are the light of the world, and then we as a conduit take that light into spaces where in everyday interactions, we're practicing selflessness and sacrifice with other people, it's that they get this little glimpse of heaven, you know? And even in the smallest ways, when they experience peace and unity and harmony and love and sacrifice, like it's just this little taste of light and heaven Mm -hmm. in the darkness of life and earth. And, and ultimately, maybe that little taste of light in heaven isn't going to be the one that woos and pursues them into the gospel and into a life in Christ. Uh, but it's, it's just one more piece. It's just one more piece of light that's ultimately going to bring people uh, into a desire to, to leave the darkness and step into life. While you were talking, um, you, you said, you know, Jesus sacrificed heaven for earth. And that kind of got my wheels spinning a little bit, um, that it wasn't that he left light and then dove into darkness and left the light behind. Like mm-hmm. he brought the light with him because he is the light, you know, he is the source. But um, I think for me in my daily life, that's what I have to think about too. It's not that my light exists over here and then sometimes I need to step into the darkness, but leave my light over there. Like, like we find out later in John, we are also the light. And so I take that with me. And sometimes taking that light with me looks like doing um, really obvious loving things, you know, and taking care of people or being generous with my time or being encouraging or whatever that is. But sometimes it looks like 
doing harder things like speaking maybe a hard truth or um, standing up for what I believe the Bible says about something versus what the group I'm in says about something. You know, sometimes it it doesn't always look like um, like what I think of being like the light filled things like can it, it is the thing that makes mm. us uncomfortable yeah. to go back to the beginning of our conversation. I think just the last piece that I want to add is, you know, kind of the message is built around Jesus gave up or sacrificed heaven in order to give us life and light now. And then Jesus sacrificed himself, a reference to the cross and his sacrificial death in order to give us <clears throat> eternal life. And and I think the, the piece that I want to close on is this, that like sacrifice is costly. And, and you have the, the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. It's a part of the humiliation of Christ, giving up heaven to come into earth. But then you have the ultimate humili- humiliation of Christ, Jesus dying on the cross. And like sacrifice costs Jesus greatly. And it's going to cost us too to live sacrificially and selflessly. And even in the small mundane everyday kinds of ways, there's a sacrifice there. And there's a cost where we're choosing people over ourselves. And, you know, we kind of wrap up the message with uh, with Philippians 2 and talking about what it looks like to live not with selfishness, uh, but an others-focused kind of life. And just the recognition, man, that there's some cost that's associated with that. Hmm. Well, I think it's a good reminder Um not every person is called to go to South America. Not every person is called to go to Mali, but every follower of Jesus is called to sacrifice and pick up our cross daily. I mean, those are Jesus's own words. So I think it's a good reminder. So any last thoughts? Let me know if you see Bluebell. Yes, please let us know. So that I can go get it. Uh, well, I'll get you one if I see it. Oh, wow. and then I'll eat that it. That is the I, nicest thing you've ever said to me. I know where there will be some. Oh, but, eight, eight, eight pints. <laughs> but after you talked about how you wouldn't share with others. <laughs> yeah. Joseph, model it for her. Teach her. How will I learn? No. How will she learn? I'll, I'll share it with our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> how good it was. <laughs> What's your address? Uh, small groups at Brazos Point. <laughs> Not email address. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.